Good morning again. It's a privilege for me to be able to speak to you this morning. I want to know, though, how many of you out there hate to shop? We've got some women in the audience, too. That's, that's good. I thought it was just me. I don't know what it is. I would be a better husband if I liked to shop. Um, but when I go in the grocery store... And I make that third trip past the refried beans, looking for something unrelated to refried beans. There is something in my mind that kind of trips, like, you need to get out of this store. You need to go now. And I hate that because it's almost like an anxiety or I kind of get a little angry. And Katie, can, you can nod your head, it's fine. She's, we got to the point now where, you know, she doesn't ask if I want to go, you know. Or if I do go, we take separate vehicles. I'm like, honey, I'm done. Uh, I'm going. <laughs> Which sounds and feels really childish. Uh, I, I think I can credit my mom for some of this. She's here today, so I'm not talking behind her back. But uh, growing up in, in Derrick's, you know, when you, when you went off somewhere, you guys know how it is. When you make a trip to the store, you make a trip to the store. You're not going back 30 minutes later. Um, uh, one one year, I remember coming back from Tennessee, and uh, Dad was was driving with us, which is a miracle in and of itself. But that's neither here nor there. But we stopped in the Kroger in Hot Springs on the way back, and Mom went in for what she said was milk, and she came back two or three hours later with two big shopping carts. Because that, I don't know if some of you remember, but you remember when Kroger used to have like the coupons on every aisle? You pull them. And like double or triple coupon day, you know. And so if you went to shop, you were there. And I made many a trips like that with my mom going up. And, you know, it's fun for about 10 minutes to go pull all the coupons yourself. And then it gets old. It feels like I shouldn't be there. Uh, I feel like I'm wandering. And that's why uh, when, when I think of this chapter uh, in the story, uh, I can kind of relate to that. Because my trips to the, to the grocery store aren't very long. But the people, uh, the Israelites, wandered in the desert for 40 years. And so maybe I can relate to some of the problems they had or some of the, the uh, issues they had. How did we get here? Uh, for those of you who, who haven't been plugged in here, we're going through uh, the book called The Story. Anybody have it with them that you can show? Hold that up in the air. Rick Bell's not here to deceive you with an older version. There we go. Uh, if, you're, if you're a part of this congregation and haven't gotten one of those books, let me know because we have some uh, still to give out. But we've been going through the story, which is, is just a chronological look at the Bible. And, and we started, of course, in Genesis at the creation. And we want to harp on this. Benjamin and I have, have mentioned this several times. But you remember back to creation when God put things in order. We're in the garden, in this perfect place where everything has been provided for man. You have, you have God reigning over man and man reigning over the animals. And so you remember as, as God uh, set back each day and as he created or put in order uh, in motion everything that he did, you remember what he said about it? I barely hear you. It's good. It wasn't kind of a, a, you know, a nonchalant, you know, when you're trying to get an answer out of something. That's ah, good. No, he said, this is how it is supposed to be. It's good. 
And so we, we go through that account, and, and of course, we know Adam and Eve, uh, just shortly after, they're in the garden, everything provided for, the order gets out of whack. They start listening to an animal, and in turn, they are, they are trying to elevate themselves up to God, at least knowing what God knows. And so in, in that moment, we see where God has created everything in the way it is supposed to be, and soon after, we, we flipped it. We've turned it. Uh, we continue that story as we, as we move closer to our, uh, our chapter 6 that we're going to today, uh, the time of Noah, when God looked down at the people and said, I just need to send a flood. I need to wipe out all of these people. Sometimes I feel like that at Walmart, but, you know, not of biblical proportions. Just get people out of my way so I can check out. Praise God they brought back the self-checkout line. But... Uh, but God looked at the people and he said, we just need to start over. And so you see, you see Noah building this ark and, and God setting back in order the things that he originally created. And so as we, as we move forward, as, as the, uh, the timeline progresses, we, we see the story of Jacob and Esau. And we have the sons of Jacob. We have the story of Joseph being sold into slavery. And though it, it didn't look like God was really um, doing what he said he was going to do, giving the people the land, he actually took the people out of the land of Canaan and into the land of Egypt. In the land of Egypt, the people, I mean, they were, they were really saved by being in Egypt because you remember there was a, a famine for seven years. Nobody had any food. And so they were able to come to Egypt to be fed and to be provided for. There the people flourished. Joseph uh, was widely known, widely respected. But as we get farther from the time of Joseph, the Pharaoh changes. A Pharaoh that's very skeptical of this people who has grown up in his midst. Uh, a, a very big nation at this point. What are we going to do with these people? And so they become slaves. So the people went from, from being blessed by God, feeling like they had everything you know, taken care of, to now they are slaves in Egypt, far from their land that they have been promised by God. What now? Well, you know, as, as we've gone through the chapters over the last few weeks, that God delivers them from Egypt. And we get to chapter 6, and now these people are in the desert, wandering. I don't know what, it, what it's like for you, but I brought this up in Bible class that, you know, the wandering in the desert, feeling like, you know, in Egypt, they wanted out of Egypt. They did not want to be slaves. They wanted out of Egypt. And you remember what happens as soon as they get out of Egypt? They wanted to go back. And I asked the question, I said, have you ever quit a job to take another job because your job was so terrible? And then you got in your new job and you thought, that other job wasn't that bad. That's a pretty good job. Uh, one, of, one of those buyer's remorse moments in your life. Uh, one of those gut check moments. It's, you know, it's all relative. It's all you know, your personal perspective of how bad it actually was. And so we see, as these people are in the desert, they, they are uh, immediately complaining. It seems like they'll complain about anything. We don't even know as this chapter begins. It just says they're complaining. We're not even sure why. 
Maybe it's because they're in the desert. That would be my complaint. Um, they just left a, a land that was full of, of food. and uh, I mean, even though they were slaves, they were taken care of. They could eat whatever. Um, they asked for fish. They, they want different things. But they're complaining. And over and over again, they go against what God is providing for them. They rebel against God. And I know, I hope when you read these things, you're not reading, you're not reading these things as, oh, here's something over here in the past that these people did. I hope when you're, you're reading this, you're, you're getting a broad picture of, okay, this is how I rebel against God. Uh, and that's a good thing, I think, to, to see the big picture. Uh, the problem is a lot of times we, we look at that and we think, there's no way God could still be pursuing me. There's no way that God would want to have his presence close to me because I know what I've done. I know the way I've lived. I know the, the things I've been through. And there's no way God would be pursuing me. And hopefully this picture uh, that has come down to us in, in Scripture Hopefully it hit, hits home to you. Because these, uh, God, for whatever reason, I mean, we can look back at it and say, uh, Johnny came up and I said, how would you describe this, this chapter? And Johnny said, um, how did you say it? Spoiled brats, spoiled children. That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good analysis, isn't it? It looks like spoiled children. God, to deliver us from Egypt, we don't want to be in slavery anymore. Okay, I delivered you. God, why the wilderness? Can we not just go back to Egypt? Okay. God, I'm hungry. Here's manna. God, I don't like manna anymore. Okay. How about some quail? God, that quail made me sick. I'm tired of that meat. Never happy, right? So much so that these people are, are, are brought to the land that they are promised, the land of Canaan. And you remember the story that they send out spies into the land. And they send out 12 spies, but only two come back and say, we need to do this. They bring back uh, grapes and figs and pomegranates and things like that and say, the land is good. Joshua and Caleb do. But the other guys are like, there's no way we can take this. The people are too big. They complain again. The cities are too fortified. The walls are too big. The people, they call them Nephilim or Anakites, descendants of Anak. This is, this is thought to be giants. This is, if you see a giant in the Bible, this is a descendants of these people. The Nephilim were uh, legendary as, as maybe sons of God that, that came down and uh, saw the saw women and said, look pretty good, ladies. And so you, you have sons of God coming down to be with, with man or with women, and then you have these, this giant race. And that's what these Israelites are saying. There's no way we can take these people. There's no way we can do this. Though God has led them this far in their journey, they can look back and see, though they've wandered so long in the desert, they get there and 10 out of 12 say, no way, we cannot do it. 
And Joshua and Caleb, I think, as they try to talk some sense into the people and say, God is with us. It seems the people listen. And then you read in the next paragraph, I think, in your storybook, it says, and they talked about stoning them. That's a little overreaction, don't you think? Two out of 12 of you say, go do it, and you want to kill them. But what I want you to see is a big theme here. Though these people are acting in such, we can say, spoiled ways, I hate to be too uh, uh, judgmental because I think we fit right in. I think it's like looking in a mirror. God continues to move his presence toward his people. Though they act like spoiled or rotten or ungrateful or whatever, God moves toward them. You remember in the garden, God created, it was good, this is what's supposed to happen. This is how it's supposed to be, God there with man. You remember what happened when when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden? Remember what he did to protect it? He said a cherubim, an, an angel at the, at the edge of the garden where they, I believe it's described as a fiery sword to protect it. And so you have a gap there from, from what God put in, in the garden. And then God's not really with his people in the same way for a long time, for hundreds of years. You, we will see he'll communicate with people like, like Noah and Abraham and even, even appear to Abraham in a burning bush, but he's not with his people as he created We get to the account of Moses, and you see God starting to come down. God, who who may have seemed distant to a lot of people, now is on the mountain. And from the mountain, God moves down into the tents or the tabernacle. Uh, Later on, we'll we'll see the temple. And, And from this area, he moves down into the ark. You keep seeing this progression of God moving down with his people. Though they've acted the way they've acted. And God does that for us, though we might not believe it. And I believe these people wanted God. Uh, we see them, we see them uh, uh, mess up in ways. We see them make the golden calf and say, this is the God. These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. That was terrible mistake but even when they say we want to go back to Egypt they don't say you know let's leave God out here and we'll go but they are rejecting the way God is leading them they're rejecting though I think they want God with them he's not doing things the way they would want to do them I hope Uh, as we all sit here today, that you are looking in your life, that you are wanting God to be in control of your life, uh, to give those cares and worries to Him, to to just have Him uh, fill you with His Spirit. But if your prayer this morning is kind of one of those, Jesus, take the wheel, don't tell Jesus how to drive. Let me say that again so you can tweet it. I had a preacher say that. But it is. If, if your prayer is, Jesus, take the wheel, God, I surrender myself to you, you can't be sitting in the passenger seat telling him how to do things. 
And that's how we operate. That's how we operate. That's how we like to do things. We like to grab uh, different scriptures that I think are very uplifting. Uh, Corbin, could you, you go to the, the scripture I have there? Romans 8, 28 is well known. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I love that verse. I love that verse. I know some of you, as we've talked about some of our favorite verses, I believe this is one of those that come up. The problem is with this verse is that we don't know what is good. All things work for the good. And when you read that, most of the time we read our vision of what is good into God's story instead of what God says is good. We're, we're in the kind of society that's, that's, you know, hashtag blessed when we get a vehicle. Um, it's, it's funny, but it's sad. Because, but, I mean, really, we, we, have, we have made things in our society to where, uh, you know, we see things as good. This is, you know, I read Romans eight twenty eight, and I got this new truck that, by the way, is losing hundreds of dollars a month in value. But we will hashtag bless that, Right? I saw people look to the side. I got toes on that one. But it's always, I want God, but God hears how to run things. We don't know what is good. You ever made a decision in your life that you were positive was a good decision, later to regret it? Anybody say a no on that? Because I want to talk to you. We have counselors that come. We can set you up. We don't know what is good. We don't know what it's going to take to get us from point A to point B, from the Israelites' perspective, from Egypt to the promised land. And if we did know what it was going to take, we would probably reject it. What do you mean, God, we're going to be delivered here, but we're going to have to live in the desert for 40 years? No, thank you. Had I known how hard Harding was going to be, ah, you'd have had to do some more talking to me. I went to the University of Arkansas. They didn't care if you showed up to classes. Um, Harding, you missed three times, and we're going to start taking points off your grade, overall grade, two and three at a time. But it's in those, it's in those hard moments and those, those moments of testing, and you've all been through it in some way, some shape, some form in your life. Some things that you don't want and wouldn't wish on other people. But you can look right now and look back and say, those times have shaped my life. Those hard times that I didn't think I was going to get out of have really shaped me into who I need to be. They've made me stronger. I didn't think I was going to be a preacher. Didn't plan on it. But I had rough times. I went through some hard things in my life that allowed me to grow. Would I have gone through them had I known they were coming? Probably not. Because I don't know what is good. The Bible uses this language uh, many times, especially in the New Testament, talking about things being refined by fire. Burning out all the impurities. That's not really a you know, an uplifting, sounds good type of thing, is it? Refined by fire. 
but we don't know what is good. But God says this fire is good, this refining fire. As I draw closer to you, we've got to drive out all of these things that shouldn't be there. The problem with Romans 8.28 is, is two verses before it. Corbin, if you could you'd go over there, in, just in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in sorry, accordance with the will of God. The Scripture says you don't even know what to pray for because you don't know the mind of God. We want, to, we want to try and have the mind of God. We want to live for God, but we don't know what that looks like, what that's going to take. And so God actually gives us His Spirit to intercede for us. And I hope if, if you were paying attention, this is that final act of God coming down. We've had God in the garden. We've had God on the mountain. We've had God in the tabernacle and the temple. We've had God. He went from being setting a cherubim outside the garden with a fiery sword to having the people create an ark with cherubim facing in and he would be there among his people. And finally, as many of you know, as we come to God, as we put our faith in God, as we are baptized into Christ, He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has come all the way down to live in you. God wants to reside in you as His Spirit. The presence of God brings brings peace. It brings comfort. It brings all of these things. But it doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. I pray for each one of you today that you want to see God come all the way down to you, getting the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to have what I have. I don't, I don't want to say that in a nose-lifted type of way because many of you are, are right here in the same boat. Because there are weeks, there are days where the only reason I can lay down on the pillow at night and get rest because of the stupid decisions I've made that day or week is because I know I'm a child of God. And I know because of that, I have forgiveness. I have salvation. And I want that for everyone in here. Because that brings peace. When you turn your life over to God, that brings peace. Despite all the ways I rebel against Him. But you have to want that. I don't know why it was in the garden that, that God decided free will is the way to go. Do you ever wonder if God regretted that decision? You know what? A bunch of robots would have been a lot easier. Um, we try to teach our kids. We try to show them the way to go. I talked about in class, we've got, a, we've got Logan who 
is now big enough, you know, he doesn't know enough, but he's big enough to move chairs, get on top of the table in his socks, standing over the top of tile, and I'm pretty sure he's going to die. I've taught him better. Y'all, I, 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 I smacked his head, hand this week and he bawled. Oh, alligator tears. Hurt your, hurt your feelings. We try to teach. We try to do what we can to teach. And my son knows not to get on the table. The problem is, is you know, he, he knows he's in trouble. And so as I move toward him and I can't act mad, he wants to run in socks on the slippery table above the tile. And so I kind of just ease toward him like I'm talking, like I may talk to Evan. Hey, what you doing today? Gotcha. But he knows better. He's been taught. And he will continue to learn. And so will we. So will we. I hope that as, as we go through this study, you see the ways in which we rebel. I, I don't want us to go through this study and say, look at how idiotic they were. How they rebelled against God. Because all through this story, God keeps allowing them to rebel. And he keeps drawing closer. He keeps trying to pull them in to provide. And ultimately, he's going to provide for all of us if you'll accept him. So that's, uh, that's our, our call today. Do you accept him? Do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior uh, just as Braven did last week? If so, we want to, we want to welcome you with open arms. Uh, we'd love to baptize you this morning, uh, showing your faith in Jesus, participating with him in the death, burial, and resurrection out of that water to receive the gift of God's Spirit to live within you. Don't live another moment alone in this life. Allow God to reside with his presence in you. If you need anything this morning, would you come as we stand and sing?